one thing that I tell leaders all the time, you know, you know, being, you know, having empathy is like this huge thing. And I'm like, no, I want you to move away from empathy because empathy just means you can relate to me. Mm-hmm. What if you can't relate to me? Mm. Now what? The same thing with allyship. We're like, oh, I'm an ally. I, I, I understand you. What if you can't understand me? You haven't walked in my shoes. You haven't had the same experiences. So I don't need your empathy. I need your compassion because the compassion is, I see you hurting. What can I do to ease your pain? Mm. Kingdom principle. Exactly. Welcome to Kingdom Over Everything. I am your host and Chief Fire Igniter, Shay Bynes. Now, before we get into this episode, I want to do a little bit of a warning because this is the first episode of this show that touches on not one, but two hot buttons, both race and politics. So I want to give you two encouragements before we get started. First is, if there's anything that's said during this episode that really agitates you, here's what I want you to do. I want you to do what I like to call a holy pause. And I want you to seek God around the thing that's agitating you and see what he has to say to you about what's agitating you. And then instead of being reactive, perhaps in the comments, you can be responsive if you want to share and we can actually engage. So that's number one. And then uh, number two is remember that the atmosphere that we are creating here with this show is all about helping us all to grow and having a kingdom over everything lens. So that means kingdom over race and kingdom over politics, all right? So remember, that's the culture that we're creating here. So I want you to keep those things in mind And now listen in, watch, enjoy this conversation that I had with Dr. Kimberly Hardin about a holistic approach to diversity, equity, and inclusion. Dr. Kimberly Hardin's in the house. What is going on? Hi, Shay. How are you? I'm doing great. And thank you for hanging out with me today. This is only our second conversation ever. You know, but when I asked, I did a a call out on Facebook, on my LinkedIn, and I'm like, I want to talk to somebody who's a kingdom person, but is operating in this space of diversity, equity, inclusion. Who should I talk to? And I think three people, I think three different people in relatively short order, (laughs) all (laughs) mentioned your name. So this is clearly your space and stuff. (laughs) So thank you. Thank you for hanging out with me today. My pleasure. And thank you to them. So that's good. Absolutely. All right. So let's dig in. I want to know more about you and your story and even how you ended up in this space. I know that you are in North Carolina now, but talk to me a little bit about kind of the journey that's led to now. Oh, my goodness. So, you know, I'm a former college professor and I used to tell my students all the time that life is not linear. I you know, did the whole zigzaggy thing for, for years. Yes. Um, so even before I became a professor, I was working in corporations, um, in healthcare specifically. So I worked in nonprofit healthcare, I worked in hospitals. And so I was kind of doing DEI before DEI was a thing. The hot topic. Uh, exactly. So, you know, back then it was, um, I was a program assistant for a nonprofit healthcare organization, an international organization, uh, and then I went into community relations, and that's kind of what DEI started out as, community engagement, community relations, um, really helping physicians, um, you know, bring in more people of color to be their their patients, um, helping them tailor um, treatments and things like that. So even Wait, when share, I was in school. Share more a little bit about, share a little bit about that. You said tailor treatments for talk a little bit about that what was the the focus or the need from that perspective yes yes and so the need was you know working in healthcare and also doing research you know discovering how physicians tend to speak over people's head you know they use that medical jargon and the average uh, person reads at a fourth grade level so when you're talking to your doctor and they're talking about you know hypertension and and, you know, glucose and all of these things. And people are looking at you like, what in the world are they talking about? Right. I didn't go to med and, school. Help me out here. Right. So you, we, we would just break it down and say you have high blood pressure and you have sugar, right? Because most people are, you know, they immigrated to Northwest and so they're from the South. And so they understand the term you have sugar. Mm, what's, what city and state were you in at this time? 
Seattle, Washington. In Seattle, Washington, that was, yes. so that was a lingo because people from, because I thought that was a whole Southern thing. So you're saying that. that that's so, a- so most of the black people in Seattle aren't from Seattle. Okay. Cause they were they're transplants from- basically. Yeah. 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 Okay. Right, right. So even if they were born and raised there, like I was, yes. Well, my mother was from Stuttgart, Arkansas and my dad was from Sparta, Georgia. Oh, I see. So I see. Right. So you got several transplants that- with their whole cultural language. Exactly. So for those who have no idea what we're talking about. So instead of diabetes, sugars. <laughs> okay. <Yeah. laughs> All right. Keep yeah. going. Keep going. Instead of saying you have hypertension, you have high blood pressure. Right. Right. And so um, all of those kind of things. And so just doing the research and speaking to doctors and looking at the, the medical material. And I said, you know what? We really need to work on improving health communication. And so that was actually my background. Yeah. I got my, my uh, bachelor's in communication because I was working on health communication projects and working at the nonprofit. We really designed and tailored material for different audiences. And so we would go out and we would pre-test it. So we designed some materials for the Latina community and for, you know, the Ukrainian community and African-American community. And we would go to these specific uh, communities and pre-test it to one, make sure that they understood it to see if the design was culturally appropriate and all of those kind of things. And so that was the missing piece. You can't just give everyone the same same piece of material and expect everyone to have the same knowledge, right? And so we found that in the Latina community, they wanted designs that were more whimsical. And so for this particular uh, product that they created, we designed a brochure that actually had a, a, a graphic, a cartoon of a woman floating among the stars. Yeah, yeah. Right, which is very interesting. Yes, it you is. You know, that's that for the black community. They're like, we don't want that. <laughs> like, that's not resonating with us. That's not resonating, right? But it was a win. And with the Ukrainian community, their colors are uh, yellow and green. And so we had to redesign the material to fit their preferred color scheme. Right. So right. It, it's the same content, just designed differently in a way that's receptive to them. Yes. And so and this was on behalf of like a, a medical health center. So the idea is we want people to come into the center to get the health care that they need. And so we need right. to reach them in a way that connects right. them and helps them see that we, we see you, you know, and, Absolutely. you know, to pro- almost like a creating that beginning uh, uh, bridge of trust, essentially. Absolutely. And then also the partnerships. And so the thing that I did um, as part of my college project was reaching out to the local barbershop, which was uh, probably two to three miles from the hospital. Right. And so uh, his name was Earl, Earl's Barbershop uh, on Union Street at the time. And I went down and I said, well, Mr. Earl, can we put up some materials in your barbershop? And he was like, yeah, sure, go ahead. And then the men started having conversations about healthcare in the barbershop. Yes. And so that was my little contribution. It's like, okay, we want to improve healthcare among specific communities. We need to meet them where they're at. Right. And black people are nail salons, well, hair salons mostly. Yes, Hair yes. salons, barbershops. Uh, Asian Americans, particularly Vietnamese, nail salons, right? So we figured out where to to target the audience and, yes. and make the materials culturally receptive. Ah, so, and so, and at that time, that was essentially called like community outreach or com- community communications or something right. like that. Yeah. Right. Okay, right. cool. So, all right. So take me past that. So you were doing that work, then what? Um, so I did that for, for many years. And then I started working with people who had no clue how to interact with black women. <laughs> uh, and they were I like, there's mostly, a story there. Yeah, they were mostly white men, and you know they would graduate from college and come in and just be, you know, a lot of microaggressive comments and and all of the things. And I would have to pull their coattail and be like, I don't know who you think you're talking to. I don't get down like that. And let me explain to you why you're being disrespectful, not just to me, but to a whole community of people. And so I realized that. I needed to to meet them where they were at in school. Yeah. This was at a university setting. This was still in the hospitals. This was still in the hospitals you were experiencing. This was in the hospitals. Yes. And so I decided to to go into teaching um, just because I was, and I told my students this when they asked me, why did I start teaching? I said, because I needed to teach you how not to be jerks. Wow. 
And so, of course, uh, again, Washington State had very few uh, African-American female teachers. So they didn't have that experience of interacting with someone. And so when I got into teaching, I started out teaching at the um, junior college. Then I went into the university. And I always ask students, how many of you have ever had a Black teacher? And I had to reflect myself. I didn't have my first Black teacher until high school. Same. Yeah, same with me. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, there's there's a lot to be learned from from black women. And, you know, we miss that because we didn't see that. Right. We didn't have that representation. And so I wanted to be that representation for students yeah. and, you know, adults when they got into the workplace and teach them how to not be jerks. <laughs> so the class that you were teaching, what was the what was the title of the class? Like what was the subject? So I was a communications professor. So it was, you know, intro to communication, yes. small group communication, public speaking. Um, what else did I teach? Um, and then when I went to the university, I started teaching social justice. So my course, the first course in social justice was um, African-Americans and Asian-Americans because there's that stereotype that we don't get along. Yes, yes. And so I was like, that's not true. That's right. a myth. Let's unpack this. And so that was my first social justice course. Uh, and then the next year in for, I think, three years after that, I taught Black women in the social justice movement. And so we just went through the history of, of Black women and how, you know, almost everything that we've ever done has been co-opted, as you probably know. Uh, <laughs> so now, we, what year is this? Like, t- like, give me a time frame. So when were you teaching this topic? I taught this topic. I started this in 2017, I believe. So this is 2017. 2017. And so these topics and even kind of the, the topic around social justice, the conversations around social justice, I don't know at what point they got hot. Was it maybe 2016 when they started to get hot and then it just got super hot, red hot at 2020? It didn't really get hot until 2019. Okay. Okay. Right before George Floyd. So like well, that happened in 2020. So the George Floyd. Right. But right. it started wrapping up. Oh, right I see. It. Okay. Okay, yeah. cool. So you're teaching on these topics, you know, mm-hmm. 2016, 2017, and then eventually you went in, cause now you're doing consulting. So did you go right from university into consulting or maybe you'd even do both now? I'm not sure. Um, so I actually started consulting while I was at the university. Okay. It was not my intention to become a consultant, honestly. Um, so the invisible labor that's often put on black female professors is, hey, we need you to talk about this at such and such time, such and such date with no extra pay. <laughs> is it a topic concerning the black community specifically? You no, know? that particular topic was they were having their first and to my understanding, still their only. Right. This was back in 2019. Um, they, the university decided to have a, uh, what they called a diversity, no, industry and inclusion day. That's what oh, it's I called. Oh, I see. Okay. Industry okay. and inclusion. So it was sponsored by the career services office. They brought in all of these um, attendees. So we had people from Zillow and Microsoft and, uh, you know, the, the big organizations and companies in Seattle. Yeah. And so they asked me to give a keynote and I'm like, a keynote on what? Like I teach communication. Like, what do you want me to talk about? Right. Well, what do you want to do? Okay. <laughs> that might've been the dangerous answer. <laughs> and so after, you know, noodling and, and praying about it, I ended up giving, they had me do two sessions, uh, two keynotes in one day. Uh, and the session was on my topic was, um, employing differently, employing differently, employing differently. Um, because we know that, you know, white men tend to get the jobs. Was this course, tech? Depends- Wait, was this a industry specific commentary commentary, by the way? No. Okay. No. Generally. Okay. Cool. Generally. Keep going, keep going. Sorry. And so I talked about how white men tend to apply for jobs, even if they're not qualified. I mean, they can have 20% of the job description and they're sure. still going to apply. And most of the time they're going to get the job. And a lot of times there's nepotism involved. Um, So we talked about that. We talked about how, you know, we can improve the job descriptions, how we can, you know, improve the interview process, um, how to improve the follow-up process, all of the things that's job related. 
and it was really, really well received. And so at the end of that, so literally I gave a keynote, ran across the street, <laughs> taught my class on social justice, right. came back, yeah. gave another keynote, ran back across the street to teach my other class with no extra benefit. <laughs> You're like, I already know I said that once and I'm going to say it again. I'm making a point right. here. But, you know, God God is good. And, yeah, and yeah. so the even though I didn't have like monetary benefits from the university, yes, my first client ended up being Microsoft. Wow. And the person who brought me into Microsoft is like, I attended your session. I loved it. We would love for you to, to you know, do the session for Microsoft. Okay. Was this before, um, was that like the beginning, was that the catalyst for the business start or had you already started the business at that point? No. So that was like the intro. Okay. Okay. I was not really. So my, so this happened in May of 2019. Okay. My mother passed away in January of 2019 and five days before my mother passed away, she says, I need you to start your business. Mm. And I'm like, what are you talking about? You know, but when you're a full-time care provider, my mom was disabled and had a lot of health issues. And so literally I'm taking care of her full-time right. and teaching full-time. I had no bandwidth to do anything else. Right. And during that time, I had just completed my doctorate degree. So going to school full-time, taking care of her full-time and teaching full-time. Yeah. And I was literally surviving off of four hours of sleep a night, three to four hours of sleep a night. Wow. I gained so much weight because I was not taking care of myself. Yeah. You know, up at, you know, you're working until two o'clock in the morning. You realize, oh my gosh, I haven't eaten. So what do you do? You go eat a bowl of cereal, which yeah. is carbs and sugar. And so, you know, my weight just skyrocketed. And um, so, you know, before she passed away, she says, I need you to start your business. And I'm like, yeah, okay, whatever. Um, and I just put it off the back burner. Right. And, and you had to be thinking about business. So that seems was seemingly random. Yeah. Yeah. And so the opportunities started to pop up and, but then I realized I'm like, well, you've already kind of developed your business because my last corporate job is I was teaching full, uh, part-time at the university. Well, I was actually full-time at the community college, but I wasn't teaching until the summer. So I was like, I need to get a temporary job during the summer. So I ended up working at Starbucks. And it's funny that you like, <laughs> so we're just, we're just been talking like we're hanging at Starbucks. Yes. Right. Um, and so I did that for the summer, uh, working at Starbucks headquarters. And it was a slow period. And so literally, I got out some colored Sharpies and designed how I want my business to go. Yes not realizing that that's exactly how my business would go. Wow. And my mother never knew that I had actually, I, like I had never said, I never shared this with anybody. That was just a private yeah. thing. Like I'm over here kind of dreaming a little bit around what might be possible. And then exactly. mom flowing in the spirit. is <laughs> like, you need to start it, working on your business. That's a whole different conversation because my <laughs> mother, when I say she flowed in the spirit, my mom. Tell me about her. Oh my goodness. So there, there was a whole, I believe that people know when they're going to pass away. Yeah. And so even when my dad passed away, like for a couple of weeks, he was like, take care of your mother, do this, do that. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, I take care of both of you now. Like you're, you're tripping dad. Yeah. And literally the day that the morning that my dad passed away, I was laying in bed. I had the morning off and I said, I'm going to make daddy a lemon cake. And as soon as that thought entered my mind, my mom called and she said, daddy's gone. Wow. And I said, gone where? Because he was such an early riser. Like it was common for him to go to the doctor or whatever at seven o'clock in the morning. She was like, he's gone. I'm like, gone where? And it took a minute, probably it felt like a full minute yeah. for it to click. And I just started screaming because I was like, yeah. and I was like, why didn't you tell me that you were going to, but I realized that had he told me he was going to pass away, I would have been like, you're tripping. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. So um, you know, so when my mom got sick, sicker, she was in the kitchen taking her insulin and she just started crying. And I'm like, what's wrong? She was like, please don't put me in a nursing home. And I said, I will be with you when you take your last breath. Mm. And then like later on, she was like, I'm going to be gone in six months. And I'm like, you're just talking foolishness. Lo and behold, six months later, wow, my mom was getting ready for her doctor's appointment. 
And she says, I don't feel well. Can you call and reschedule? And I'm like, yeah, I'll call. And I called the doctor and they're like, we're booked up for the next couple of months. So I went to her room and I said, you have to get ready to go. Literally, I turned my back to walk out the room and I turned back around and she was having a stroke and her face had shifted. Right. And I said, she is not going to survive this. And so I'm trying to get her dressed. We're making so much noise in the apartment that my neighbor downstairs, she's like, what's going on? I'm like, my mom's having a stroke. Didn't want to call the ambulance because they take forever. They ask you a zillion questions. I'm like, I don't have time for that. Like, right. So my neighbor in her pajamas hops in the back seat. I'm in the car. We're, we're speeding. Grace of God. I'm literally probably going like 105 rush hour traffic in the freeway. Oh my gosh. And I'm detouring, zigzagging, all of that. Didn't hit anybody, didn't get pulled, none of that. So by the time we, I was detouring up the hill, by this point, we're like probably 10 minutes away from the hospital. And my mom had her hand on the emergency brake and I moved her hand and she started squeezing my hands. And I was trying not to cry. And I said, you've been a good mother. So if it's your time to go, I Mm. bless you. And she died in the car. Wow. And so when the ambulance finally caught up with us, they were trying to act like she wasn't already gone. But I worked at the hospital that I was taking her to. So the hospital that was taking her to, they had started a stroke center when I was working there. Yeah. We went out to the community and educated Black folks about strokes. Yes. So I was like, y'all can't really tell me anything. Because I already know. Yeah. And she knew. Um, and she knew. And yeah. so that Saturday before she, she passed away on a Wednesday, that Saturday, she wanted to go uh, see her grandchildren. So we, we did that and we were driving back home and my mom lit up her cigarette <laughs> and rolled down the window. And she's like, let me tell you with the good Lord love. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> what, what did I miss? Like, what happened? Like, was there a conversation that I missed out on? And she yeah. just started like telling me all this stuff. And I'm like, oh, huh? What? And everything that my mom said was going to happen, happened. Yeah. Exactly. It's all the stuff and hurt stuff. I was like, huh? yeah. And then she was like, this person is jealous of you. This person's going to start some drama. Just like everything she wow. said happened. And wow. she was like, I need you to start your business. Wow. So you. <laughs> So now when you heard that and you're thinking, okay, wait a second. I didn't tell her about the fact that I had my markers out. Was that for you the confirming moment that's like, I have got to start this business? Was that just like, that's it for you? I got to start this and I'm going to start right now or no? No. I Honestly, I've forgotten that I had even written anything down. Oh, wow. It was in my box. Yes. uh, Of keepsakes with, you know, all of the cards that I received from students over the years. And I just put it out of, my, out of my mind. Wow. It wasn't until that April when I did the presentation at the university, you know, and then when, when Microsoft called me and I was like, oh, I guess I should go get my business license. And so literally I had that experience in April. I got my business license on May 7th. Oh <laughs> so- my gosh. That's so wild. You know, when you talk about God being Jehovah Jireh, the one who sees and goes before, it's like you had that moment all that time back there, forgot about it. And then at right at the opportune time, it's like, oh, you didn't even were thinking about that. Your mom gives you that message. And then by the mm-hmm. time that God's orchestrated a whole client for you and a starting point, you already had a framework or like, a, a you know, an idea, a thought for what mm-hmm. this business was going to look like. That's so right. cool. I love that. Yeah. Okay. So tell me a little bit about what you do in the consulting business. And then then we'll talk some DEI related stuff, but talk to me about this consulting business and how you're serving and all of this. You know, we do a lot of things that a lot of consultants don't do. So, you know, we do the organizational assessments. We do strategy work with leaders. Um, we do staff trainings and presentations. We do leader workshops. Uh, we do leader retreats. We do a lot of, um, a lot more keynote. I do a lot more keynote speaking now. Yeah. Uh, just, but you know, just a lot of workshops, you know, yeah. companies will say, you know, Hey, can you come in and give a staff talk about X, Y, and Z for 90 minutes? Yes. Okay. If, you know, if we have availability, that's what we'll do. But, you know, we have people on our, our team that does, um, HR work. Mm-hmm. So they need help on revising policies. 
Laura will take that on. Um, if they want to talk about, um, you know, equity and, and LBGTQ issue, issues and all of those things, yeah. I have people that will take that on as well. Uh, so we, we, it's a full stop shop. Nice. So when, so when clients come to you, they're not always coming to you from the perspective of a diversity, equity, and inclusion conversation. It could be a general workforce issue or, or, mm-hmm. or leadership organizational strategy and those types of things too. But, but there's this yeah. particular topic that has become hotter as we've been talking about. So yeah. I guess, you, are you seeing an increase of clients that are wanting you, whether it's from a speaking perspective or a consulting perspective, wanting to really hone in on this topic around diversity, equity, and inclusion from a workplace, marketplace context? So they did. Unfortunately, things are, you know, since it's been a couple of years since Floyd was murdered, you know, things have calmed down. Um, And you probably have seen some articles about how, you know, most uh, VPs of DEI at this point in time, 76% of them are white people. So I did not, I did not know that. I didn't hear about that actually. Yes. Yes. Um, and so, you know, we're going through this transition again, um, but just like it transitioned from community engagement to DEI, it's going to morph into something else. It always does. That's interesting. Uh, Yeah. That's interesting. Okay. So help, help, help me out. Cause even, you know, sometimes we hear a phrase and you see it, but then there's a whole lot of different definitions and perspectives on it. So so DEI, I don't know whether I don't know whether there's even an entity that gets to control the definition or has has created the space for that definition, but what exactly is it for someone who works in the space? Um so there's so many acronyms. <laughs> right. <laughs> it started out as DI, D and I, diversity and inclusion. Okay. And then it went to DEI, diversity, equity and inclusion. And then it went to DEIA or DIA. Oh, I don't know this one. Yeah, diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility. Oh, okay. And then it went to DEIB, which is diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. And now it's, and I've even seen some terms, JEDI, which is justice, (laughs) equity, diversity, and inclusion. So it's morphing before our very eyes right now. Okay, okay, okay. Exactly. Um, so it, it basically just means in, you know, different consultants have their different ideas yeah. of, of and definitions. But for me, you know, the whole idea of diversity, well, we're all diverse. Yes. Right. And so, you know, you and I both identify as black women, but you are wearing some red glasses. I don't have any. Are they red or orange? They are red. Okay. So, and I don't have uh, red glasses. I have some orange ones, right? Uh, we both had different hairstyles, all of those things. We were both in different geographical locations. So you're looking at the intersectionality. So by definition, we're all diverse. Yes. What companies are doing when they say we're looking for diversity is that means they're just looking to hire a particular segment of people. Mm-hmm. And so what I do is I go in and I question them and I challenge them. Okay, so you want to hire diversity. Well, what does that mean to the organization? To you. Right. Right. What does that mean? Like which demographic? Why that demographic? How is that going to benefit the that community? How is that going to benefit the organization? How are people already in the organization going to push back on that? Right. So we have those kind of conversations. Yes. Don't just say we want to hire diversity, because if that's the case, you can just hide, hang up a sign, a shingle saying we're hiring all black folks. <laughs> we're hiring all Asian folks. Right. Right. So right. You have to be very specific in, in what it is you're wanting and why. Mm-hmm. Mm. And so I have those kind of conversations like you want diversity. OK, great. Why? Let's 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 define what that actually means. And I love that you're like, what is it and why? I love that you're like you're engaging them at that level. Right. So, mm-hmm. OK, I love that. OK. So yeah, and oftentimes they'll say they don't know. Well, right? that's what I figured. Yeah, yeah. that's that's yeah. what I figured. And that's when yeah. when you really have to then have fuller conversations. I suspect the same then applies when you're even talking about a organizational leadership and wanting to help with team development and all of those things and teach an entire leadership team or entire group team. And and they're saying, well, we want to focus on diversity or we want to help in diversity. It's like, okay, what does that mean to you? Why? What are the issues that you're experiencing in the organization amongst the people so that then you can kind of deal with that as it is? Because it almost Mm -hmm. can be one of those things where it's like, well, we just really want to check the box of we know that we know that this is supposed to be an important thing. So just come and do that thing. Come do that thing that you do. Right. (laughs) You know, and I have conversations and I ask, you know, a lot of questions and I say, well, what you want is compliance. Mm 
what you yeah. want is legal compliance. You're not looking for true diversity. You want something that you can report to the EEOC on your EEO2 report yes. to show that you do have people of color. Yeah, I see. Does not mean that you're including those people of color, and it doesn't mean that those people of color belong there. And mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be color uh, people of color. It can be you know people who are differently abled yes. or identify as queer, whatever it is. Right, right, right. Okay. So all right, yeah. so. So this topic became a, a bit interesting to me because of 2020. I mean, I, back in the way back in the day in my IBM days, I actually worked in uh, diversity recruiting within IBM for a segment for technical recruiting, but that was in my past past. The, mm-hmm. the interest from a kingdom lens came to me in 2020 when it seemed like this is the only conversation. This was like the dominant conversation happening after the whole uh, George Floyd, Floyd uh, murder took place. Right. Mm-hmm. And. It was so interesting to me to watch the conversations that were taking place about the topics around diverse, like the marketplace context. First, we were having conversations that were really just kind of at a neighborhood level, just kind of race conversations, generally speaking. But then I was watching the conversations, what was starting to happen from, okay, how are companies now responding to certain things. And then I would start to see there were these books that would just all of a sudden be in my newsfeed a million times. Like, this is the book we're reading now. And this is, you know, this is Robin DiAngelo's White Fragility book. And this is, you know, pick an author, right? There was a number of authors in these books that were coming up. So I was like, well, let me read, like, since this is like the conversation that's happening over and over again, let me pick up a couple of these books Mm -hmm. and like read, like, what is the conversation that's being had? And, and I don't know what you, you're a practitioner in this space. So you have a whole nother perspective than I do as kind of an observer of kind of the conversations. Right. But as I was reading the books, like the most popular books, regardless of whether someone was a well-known conservative, a well-known liberal, or, you know, whatever mm-hmm. I would go and I'd find that there would be, I'm looking at this from a kingdom lens and I'd read these books and I'm like, man, on this side, I'm reading this book and it's completely in condemnation and shame and creates a whole environment that that creates more division, but there's still some truth in it. So it's like, okay, there's some truth up in here. But then mm-hmm. it's like the whole atmosphere around it is just like, yeah, that's not, yeah, I can see why that only goes so far because this environment that's around it is rooted in things that are completely outside of the nature of what what's the goodness of God. That's good for everybody, whether they believe in him or not. Right. Right. And then on the other side, I'd be looking at, okay, so here's another popular book on this side. And I'd read that and I'd be like, there's some truth in here too, but they'd be creating this whole other atmosphere that it's like, ah, so I'm curious to know as a practitioner in this, how has the gospel, how has your understanding of the kingdom, how has your love and walk with Jesus informed how you create frameworks you know, in this as a consultant and like, how has this impacted you and your approach? Cause as I read the stuff, that's the popular stuff. I'm like, I want to see more. I want to see more Jesus. And I don't mean overtly Jesus. I mean, his way in his heart in the midst of right. it. Right. Well, first I probably pray more than I ever have. Mm. Um, because this work is emotionally and mentally exhausting. Yeah. And, um, to be honest with you, I'm I'm holy, but I'm still a whole lot of hood. <laughs> <laughs> You're like even more prayers so, so that that the whole that holy can come out stronger. Yeah, because yeah. you know sometimes people will say things yeah. and you're like, did I hear you correctly? Do you want to repeat that? Yeah. Um, and then you're you're saying that facetiously because you really don't want them to repeat that because you know you're like a minute from yeah hood. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. Um. Yeah, and so I, I I think I pray more uh, that God's words will speak to me and through me. Yeah, uh, and that I will show that love. And even if I don't necessarily say to a person, you know, Jesus loves you or anything like that, right. I still want them to be able to feel that that yes. empathy and that that um, compassion. Yes. Uh, one thing that I tell leaders all the time, you know, you know, being you know having empathy is like this huge thing, and I'm like. No, I want you to move away from empathy because empathy just means you can relate to me. Mm-hmm. What if you can't relate to me? Mm. Now what? The same thing with allyship. We're like, oh, I'm an ally. I, I, I understand you. What if you can't understand me? You haven't walked in my shoes. You haven't had the same experiences. So I don't need your empathy. I need your compassion because the compassion is 
I see you hurting. What can I do to ease your pain? Mm, kingdom principle. Exactly. Exactly. That's good. That's good. Okay. So you talked, so that's a really good example. This, this idea of, you know, I empathize, you know, but it's like, but if you can't, okay, what does compassion look like? And there's, and there's an action, you know, that's connected to mm -hmm. compassion. Then you mentioned mm -hmm. allyship. And I know that became a, at least to me, maybe it's been popular. You know, you only start noticing things when you notice them. But for right. me, this whole concept of allyship was super on my radar in 2020 and beyond where it was like, it was the popular thing to say, I'm an ally, I'm an ally, I'm an ally. I didn't even know what that meant exactly. Well, what do you mean you're an ally? What does that look like? What does that mean? I'm not exactly sure. There was books mm -hmm. about it, all the things. You wrote a book about allyship, you know? Mm -hmm. So that was a, that was a popular phrase, but you just said a second ago, well, you could say you're an ally. So what's the other side of that? So when you say, I want you to move from empathy to compassion, mm -hmm. what's on the other side of, I want you to move from an ally, maybe define that for folks of mm -hmm. what you, what you're saying when you say ally. And then what's the, what's the alternative to that? You know, and I agree with you. Allyship became like this huge catchphrase. Like a buzzword. Yes, the yeah. empty buzzword back in 2020. And the reason why I wrote my book is because, you know, and I will never forget this. I was actually, I just come from the gym. I was at the grocery store, which is next door to the gym. And I'm just like trying to get my zucchini. <laughs> and this white woman just walks up to me. She goes, I'm an ally. And I'm like, I'm just trying to squeeze a zucchini. Like, <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> and so, you know, I asked her, I said, an ally to whom and according to whom? Yes. Just because you say you're something doesn't mean it's so. And do we even know what that, and what does it even mean to you? Exactly. Yeah. So you're an ally to whom? Yeah. And her reaction just proved to me that that was just the empty catchphrase for her. Interesting. Well, and actually, if that's interesting on multiple levels. One, that there was an announcement about it when, you know, <laughs> that was already allies weird. don't need to announce, right? Their words and actions are aligned. Yeah. Hers yeah, was yeah. clearly misaligned. And, and you know, that's what I, I teach my clients is like, you know, you're saying staff members don't care what you say. They care what you do. Yes. Yes. Right. Yes. And so it, it goes back to what Dr. Maya Angelou said, you know, people will show you who they are. Yes. Believe them. Yeah. Yes. Right. And so it's that whole, you know, I'm an ally, I'm an ally, according to whom and what have you done to prove that you're an ally? And then their response to that is always, I'm a good person. I'm a good person. Okay. So let's have a conversation about good. You're good according to whom and what makes you good because there's always sun and moonlight. <laughs> so if you're good, then who's bad? And what right. makes you good compared to this person, right? Yeah. So you're saying you're good and you're better than this person. What makes this person less than, yeah. right? So I have those kind of conversations and, you know, people, you know, they will lose all color in their skin. Well, I can imagine pretty quickly. Because <laughs> <laughs> you, right. you, so you you're asking a disruptive question very directly and then yeah. someone has to figure out what they're going to do with what you just said right because it's subjective yes right yeah it is good is subjective what does good mean yeah yeah so when they're like well i'm kind i'm generous i'm like so why not just say i'm kind and generous why is it this label of i'm good that's interesting so what is so so then what does it mean to be in like so <laughs> What does it mean to be an ally? I mean, you wrote a book about it. You were breaking it down. I did a quick, I did a quick scan through it. I remember you talking about ally versus an advocate versus an accomplice, right? Mm -hmm. So when we were talking about empathy, better than empathy is compassion. And that has an action for you ally on the other side of that. Is that is advocate? Would that be the correlation? Like instead of being an ally, which is like, okay, that sounds nice. It's just kind of a buzzword. It doesn't mean a whole lot. To advocate, would that be your answer? Is that like the correlation that moves you into an action as opposed to something that's maybe tougher to walk out? Exactly. So for me, an ally is just someone who may enjoy Black culture. They can, and I've actually had, I had a former colleague who told me that he was more woke than I am because he listens to Beyonce. That's interesting. Is by the way, side point, is the word yeah. ally, is that only typically used in the context of um, other cultures with black, with the black community. Is that, does it have that tie or is it like, or is ally like it, common, like it, ally to it, a it, bunch it, of different communities or whatever? 
It can be both. Okay, cool. So right. Keep, the, the origin I was just curious, of the word, yeah. So, so the root word of, or the origin word of ally is allegory, which means to unite. Yes, I didn't know to that. bind okay. to, to bind and to. so to bind to, and so I had that conversation. Well, if you if you don't know me, how are you bound to me? So how can you say you're an ally? So the way the way I perceive it in 2023, when people say I'm an ally. To me, that means, okay, so you are engaged in Black culture in some kind of way, either through sports, music, uh, interracial relationships, biracial children. You're connected to sure. the culture some kind of way. Right, right, right. Okay. That does not necessarily mean that you don't have bigoted tendencies. And I hear this a lot from from clients yeah. uh, or people who attend my talks who are engaged in interracial relationships or have biracial children. You know, the white women will come to me be like, wow, I did not realize that I'm a bigot or I didn't realize wow. I'm a racist. Wow. Uh, even my good friend, her, she's biracial and she's like, I just now realize my siblings and I just realized that our mother is a racist. Yeah. Which is disheartening because, you know, that's your mother. She loves Absolutely. you and you love her. And yeah. she's now saying all of these things that are completely inappropriate and offensive Yeah, to you as a black woman. Yeah. Wow. So then what's the difference? So then what's the difference then between being an ally who may have just like this connection to mm -hmm. community and then actually being an advocate? Okay. So let me ask you a question. Please bring it. Have you had an experience where maybe you and a white colleague were in a meeting and something was said and you were expecting this colleague to speak up on your behalf and they did nothing? I can't think of a work, a work related instance where I've had that, but I have had that happen outside of the workplace. Yes. Okay. Yes. Same difference. Same thing. Right. right. You know, I, an advocate, an ally is just someone who's who's like I'm connected to black people or or brown people, BIPOC, other marginalized communities, whatever. Sure. But I am not going to advocate you advocate for you in any way, shape, form, or fashion. I need you to speak up on my behalf. I yeah. need you to help me to get to where I need to get to where I want to go. Right. Um. You know. So it's like pie. I like. Cheesecake. Okay, let's change. Let's change the pie to cheesecake. Okay, I like cheesecake. <laughs> so you know, if there's just a okay, so you used to work in the corporate workspace, yes. and of course, we all remember when there's extra food in the break room, and you know, you get the emails, "Hey, there's food." Yeah. Well, an ally is just going to be like, "There's food." Okay, great, fine. An ally is either going to come to your desk before they send that email, or they're going to fix you a plate. Oh, you mean the advocate? You meant the advocate? Yeah, I'm sorry, the advocate, yeah. yes. Okay. They're going to fix yeah. you a plate. Yes, yes. There's so the, the, it's the act, so the action, the action is the core difference. Absolutely. And I go back, because I keep making these these connections between, you know, what, what do we see Jesus model? So, because if you think about what that looks like, compassion is an action word. Love is an action word, you know? advocacy rooted in that actually is love. That also is an action word, right? Mm -hmm. And it's like to mm -hmm. care, like to show care. Right. Absolutely. And so the key is around, oh, think the, about, around the think action. About the, the, the man who was disabled and his friends lowered him from the roof. Yes, 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 yes. That is an advocate. That behavior. was an advocate. Right. And God healed, Jesus healed him just because of his friends. Yes, yes. Right. Yeah. So yeah, that was next level. Like that, that was a great example. Cause that was next level. We're like, we're going, we're going to put a hole. We're going to cut the hole up in uh -huh. this roof. And we're going to make sure our friend right. can see Jesus. Exactly. Yes, exactly. That's the advocate. That's good. Now yeah. I tease this. Cause I said in your book, you had said ally advocate and then accomplice was the third one. Mm -hmm. So if advocate is already like an action oriented, showing care, all of those things, then What's that next level where it's like, I'm an, I'm an accomplice at this point? The accomplice is the person who's willing to give up their financial or social capital for someone else's benefit. What is social capital? Their position, right? So think about um, uh, Serena Williams' husband. I can't think yes. of Alexis. Yeah, I can't yeah, 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 yeah. He actually gave up his position because he was like, 
we need to diversify this role and we need to have a person of color in this position. So he walked away from that position to make space for someone else. Wow. And a lot of people aren't going to do that. They're not willing to give up a contract, a position, a promotion, because they know that someone can do the job better than they can. Okay. So you just said two. Okay. I got like three thoughts going on in my head at the same time. Okay. So one, the, the kingdom concept that I just heard you use is radical generosity. So your action is actually pretty radically generous because you are actually giving up something. You talked about social capital. You are taking yourself out of the running or out of the benefit, personal benefit of something in order to create opportunity for someone else. And so to me, that's radical generosity as Jesus all day, right? Mm-hmm. That's good. And, and, and not everybody can or will do that in particular context or whatever. But the other thing that you said that stood out to me is you said, because and I know, and I think it was important that you said that because some people, when you just said what you said, when they heard it, if you hadn't added that comment of someone who actually had the qualifications, then I find that this conversation, because, you know, I've worked in diversity for so long, can get in such, can get really weird because some, depending on someone's mindset or their experiences, they can immediately go to, oh, this was just about putting someone in it and having nothing to do with or not enough to do with their qualifications, right? right? And it's like, no, that's not, that's not what we're talking about here, right? Mm-hmm. There is someone who's saying there's someone who is way, that is well-suited for this work. And I am going to give up my position in order to make something happen, make something available for somebody else. Right. And so, you, so what are some other examples of like, so I'm, try, I'm trying to think through like social capital. So that could be financial, mm-hmm. right? It could be, you know, it could be an opportunity, whether that's a job, it could be something with finances where you might make a decision that means that there's a sacrifice on your personal part that, that allows increase for somebody else. Absolutely. So Absolutely. to me, I'm still, I'm seeing collaboration and radical generosity. Those are my two mm-hmm. kingdom words for accomplice. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it's, and it's so interesting because people, so I work with a lot of executive leaders and I have those hard conversations Yeah, and you know, I, you know, first thing I'll ask me, how did you get your position? Right. And they'll be in the position for 15, 20 years, 25, whatever. And I would say a good 95% of the time is because they knew someone who knew someone. Nepotism. And so I will say, yeah. I will ask them, I said, so do you mean to tell me that you had no experience in marketing before you got this job as chief marketing marketing officer? Like you're making how much, how many hundreds of thousands a year and you had no experience before you got this job? Right. Right. But because of nepotism. But again, it goes back to what I said earlier that most white men don't like they'll apply for a job even if they don't have the experience. Right. I've heard that. About, I've, people, I've seen some interesting stats around men versus women. I mean, right. forget race for a second, that right. men versus women, that women are way less likely to, to apply for a job if we don't to have apply for a job if they don't have the majority yep. of the, yep. the boxes ticked off on exactly. the list on the thing. Exactly. But men tend exactly. to just go for it. Right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But it's, it's usually white men who yes. they feel like we have 20%, we're going to apply for it. Yeah. Women and people of color. We don't. Yeah. So that's interesting. Um, so I'm thinking about social capital again. And we talked about like from a job context, from, you know, an opportunity financial or what have you. And I'm thinking about relationships because you just talked about nepotism, right? There's mm-hmm. also the relationship aspect, the generosity of relationship where I know, like I know these folks and this has been a benefit to my life relationally. But even though you know, I think that, you know, I'm going to basically give up some of my social capital and relationships to others so that they are then presented with opportunity that otherwise maybe I would only because it's my relationship. So it's almost like it's generosity of, so I have this thing that I talk about all the time is how in the kingdom, we're supposed to be uh, distribution centers in the kingdom of God. So that means that there's all these resources, God's the source, there's all these resources and that we have to have this open-handedness that's like, I can receive resources, I can give resources, open-handed on both sides. So if God calls for it, I can give it up. 
right? Mm -hmm. And I can also gracefully receive it. So having that right. kind of open flow through on both sides, but mm -hmm. all of us have like resources. And so when I think about this idea of being a, um, an accomplice, which is next level to me, that's like, that is straight kingdom all day. Because if we're radically generous with the resources that we have, whatever those resources are, financial, mm -hmm. relational, whatever, right? then our generosity in that is exactly at, at the heart of God. So I think oh, this is absolutely. where, so first of all, give me a reaction to that. And then I want to ask you something else. Oh, I totally agree with that. Totally agree with that. Um, I actually won, uh, received an award from the University of Washington uh, last year, yeah. last October, um, uh, the Alumni Mentoring Award. And I was nominated because some of my former students were like, we graduated, we you know, reached back out to Dr. Hart and we're like, hey, we need some experience or what, what do you recommend? So on and so forth. And I've always hired former students to, to get the experience. It's like, okay, you want to be whatever it is you want to be. Yeah. How can I help you get to that level? Right. Right. I know, and I'm sure you do as well. You can't get a job until you get experience. <laughs> right, right. That's right? only the way it works. Which is, yeah. which is crazy. It's like, yeah. you won't give me the job because I don't have experience, but I can't get experience until you give me the job. Right, right. Um, and so I was like, okay, you can work for me for three months or six months or whatever. So you can get the experience. Good. Then you go out and you get the job. Yes. Right. Yes. And so I've had a lot of students work for me part-time just to get that experience, to get them to that next level. I coach them. I mentor them. He's like, you want to be a public speaker? Okay, we're going to work on this. Let's yeah. let's get it. And so, you know, the fact that they went and nominated me for this award that I received last October was just, you know, a, a great feeling that it was yeah. even my teacher of the year award. Yeah. It was because students nominated me. Yes. Yes. Because like, you're investing, you're investing your resource into others and creating opportunities for mm -hmm, them. Mm -hmm. And all of it. And so... So this kind of idea about privilege, which shows up in lots of contexts, whether it's a, a racial perspective or or not, like I have, I, there's many privileges that I have as a black female. I have privileges, you know, everyone right. has a privilege of some sort, but the bottom right. line is if you're leveraging that privilege, going back to the accomplice thing, if you're mm -hmm. leveraging that privilege and what, which is like not a bad word, it's like, okay, <laughs> that if you're leveraging that privilege to create opportunities for others in a radically right. generous way then mm -hmm. awesome. And if you take that concept, that general kingdom concept, and then look at patterns, history, you know, structural, institutional things or whatever, mm -hmm. you can take that same concept and apply it to these various areas where you talk about, you know, whether it be, you know, underrepresentation in an area or marginalization in an area or what have you, you can mm -hmm. take these same concepts mm -hmm. and then apply it in those contexts. That's what I'm hearing. Absolutely. I mean, there've been, so there's two words that people bristle. <laughs> I don't, I don't know why they bristle. Yeah. People dislike the word privilege. Right. And they dislike the word bias. Mm. And every human being has both. All of us. Right. Yes. It's not a bad word. It just, it just is. It's a, it may be various degrees of privilege, yes. but we all have it. Yes. If you have a roof over your head, that's a privilege. Yes. If you can see, or you can afford glasses to see, that's a privilege. Yes. Right. So the fact that people are like, I don't have any privilege. Well, you do. Yeah, you do. We all do. Right. <laughs> you know, right. Right. I'm not biased. Yes, you are. We yes. all are. Yes. We right. All have we all prejudices. have our things that's going to make us, you know, uh, freeze, fight or flee. Yeah. And so they're like, I'm not biased. You are. <laughs> you are. Even if you see a pit bull running down the street towards you and you run. That's a sign of bias. Yes. Yeah. That you're biased towards pit bulls. Yes. Because you be wouldn't run towards really chihuahuas. That's not even going to hurt you. It just want to play with you. Exactly. You, you don't would you run for a chihuahua? Right. You wouldn't run for a chihuahua. <laughs> right. So that means we have bias towards pit bulls versus chihuahuas. Yes. Someone argued that that was wisdom and not bias, but it's still bias. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. Some of those chihuahuas now, you'd be like, hmm. <laughs> Oh my God. That's, so real funny. Good. That's so funny. <laughs> I think part of the, when I think about just kind of big picture and just, and when I say big picture, I'm just going to say United States for a second. Mm -hmm. So when I think about some of the tension that we're kind of dealing with in our nation, that I think those tensions have just continued to uh, increase. They ebb and they flow and they increase or whatever over these last handful of years. And I think about these, con these concepts that we're talking about, which often then get, you know, 
put in political camps, but these things aren't political. Like what we're talking about is not a political thing. These are concepts that help people flourish, period. But then this is why I'm like, politics is a stronghold. As soon as politics enters the conversation, then we might agree conceptually on this should happen, but then our own political biases then create this tension that, that stalls progress that would help everybody. So I feel like there's a lot of tension in the, from the perspective that I'll just take this for example. So like the, so Democrats tend to fall on the wanting government to do more things. So these same concepts, they're wanting government in some cases do a whole lot of this. Like we will be the ones We'll be the source. We will be the source of making sure that all of these things happen. And then Republicans, they're like, listen, we don't want government up in anything. Y'all figure it out. And if they're a believer in the Republican, they're like, listen, this is all on you and your family. You know, pick yourself up by your bootstraps. You know, uh, this is all about the family and we don't need the government in it or whatever. And neither of those things are the right answer. It's all of it. And so I feel like part of the challenge that we have as a nation, which is why I think it's so important that there's kingdom people across the spectrum of all of this stuff, is that a lot of ways that we'd flourish is in the tension of identifying those places where it makes sense that all of us taxpaying people are creating opportunities and there's things that are laws or this or whatever that take place, but then not looking at the government to, to have, have to go through the government to make all of these things happen when there's some things that like, let's just continue to, I'm just talking for, to kingdom people for a second. Let's operate like kingdom people and all the places and the spaces that we're in and then be atmosphere shifters where things actually happen because you've got heart issues and you got things that just need to be handled, you know, institutionally or legislatively or whatever. What are your, what are your thoughts about my, uh, my rant? (laughs) I can, I can talk about this all day, every day. Um, you know, religion is the most political politicized thing ever in the United States. Um, the fact that nuns can wear their garments and head coverings and all of that not a big deal, but as soon as you see a woman wearing her job, she's other. That's just that she's not. You know, she doesn't believe in God. Right. Well, she does. She just may not believe in the same God that you do. Right. Right. Um, the fact that Democrats wants to be a little bit more compassionate than Republicans, and and you're hurting. How can we assist you? Mm-hmm. Whereas Republicans are the opposite. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's true. I mean, they keep saying, oh, you know, we want to take away a woman's right to have abortions. For me, it's not whether or not you agree with abortions or not, but what are you going to do after the child is born? Mm -hmm. You don't offer health care. You don't offer uh, child care. You don't offer um, free lunch programs, all of the things that children need to to thrive. So it's not about being pro-life. It's about being pro-birth. It goes that, but that whole, that whole like, compassion that goes across right that's just for human flourishing and getting in that tension of it's not all this and it's not all that that's exactly Exactly. an example of of what you gave where it's like well what does this what does this look like and it right what 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 else what else what else comes up i mean even with with healthcare i mean the fact that you know president biden finally negotiated on on the um prescription rates okay my mom was diabetic. She yeah. her her medic she had to take shots four times a day. Right, that adds up. Yeah, and you know people who could afford it, not a big deal, right? right? But people who are on a fixed income, they need these subsidies. Yeah, they need lower health care uh, and prescription costs, and we shouldn't have to like go to Canada to get it or have to right. order it online from somewhere. We shouldn't have to do that. Yeah, right. So and the whole thing of pull yourself up by the bootstraps. Okay, well, you're assuming that we have boots. <laughs> you're assuming that we have feet. Right. I mean, and some right? people don't. So there's a, right, there's right. So there's a lot of assumptions, right? Yeah. So, so there's just like this goodness. That's why I'm like, there's the tension in it because there's some real goodness. That's why I don't like, po- that's why I don't like politics, but I believe that, but you know, the kingdom of God can operate within this spaces, but it's such a political stronghold because it's not reality. Neither of these extreme, no extremes are reality. Right. So it's right. just like, 
It's somewhere up in here right. of getting the attention of the right. goodness of a thought process and ideology right. here and the right. goodness of a thought process and ideology there and kind of right. dealing with the tension. That's why I was like, right. listen, I had, and I'll let you go, but I remember in 2020 and in the midst of all of these things, I, I was ranting on Facebook. I had this hashtag kingdom over everything. That was back in the, back then. And now I got a podcast called that. Yeah. And right. I was saying, that's why we can't say things like you can't call yourself a Christian and be a pick a you know, pick your party, right? Like we can't say that because by saying that we're putting Jesus in the box of a political structure when it's like, actually, wherever you are, wherever you're leaning, wherever, whatever, there's goodness that we learn and model out and can walk out even in, in culture right. that we can learn from the kingdom and mm -hmm. apply. And if we would actually like, negotiate the tension of that versus having to be like, I'm all on this camp. So everything that this camp says, I'm in complete agreement because I can't, you know, or on this side, I got to be wholesale and I will fight. I will fight right. things that don't even make sense. Right. That aren't even in alignment on either right. side, because I'm so rooted in this thought process. We will be so much better. Everyone will be so much better yeah, I mean, we all should have a growth mindset. We should yeah. continue to read and grow and pray and, yeah. and do all of the things that we need to do. But, you know, the first and only contract that I've ever been terminated from was a Christian school. Okay, so you got it. So if you have a few minutes, tell me more because I want to know more yes. about this. Okay. So they hired me to train faculty on DEI. Okay. And so we were having um, monthly sessions and literally, so I asked them to begin with, does the board of trustees agree with this? Are right. they okay with this? Right. Yes, it's great. It's fine. No problem. So we signed the contract. And then when um, the former president lost re-election, mm -hmm. I get an urgent, you know, hey, could we could we meet real quick? Yeah, sure, fine. Well, we need to cancel your contract. You know, we're gonna we're gonna pay you out of the contract. Well, of course you are. Um, but because <laughs> you know, it was a contract. <laughs> You know, the, the, the board is really upset, you know, because, you know, their preferred candidate lost. And I said, so you mean to tell me that the board is canceling all DEI initiatives simply because their preferred candidate lost? Like, do they give you any more insight into that? Because I don't even see I don't even see the connection. So that was all that was said. that was all you and, got. And I was like scratching my head like you're a Christian organization. Right all the trustees are supposedly Christian. Yeah. But yet you're can't. And, and the funny, in the, well, not funny, but the interesting thing was at the end of every session, I would back up every single thing that I said with the scripture. Scripture, yeah. And I said, according, and I would always have like three to five scriptures. I'm like, this, this, and this, this is how it applies to this, do the little yeah. diagram, all the things. Yeah. And they were like, yeah, the board is not supportive of this anymore. That's but you were really supportive of it last year. Yeah. When he, it was, it was so bizarre. That is bizarre. Um, Cause it's like the topic yeah. is the topic. So it really doesn't matter. <laughs> right. But right. as a result of them canceling the contract, several administrators left. Yeah. Wow. They're like, you know, and, and they said, you're being very performative. Your words and your, your actions are yeah. misaligned. You're saying that you support DEI and you're, you know, believing in Christian principles, but yet you're terminating this contract because your preferred candidate lost? Like, how does that even make sense? Yeah, so they lost yeah, a lot of, you know, great people. Yeah, that goes back into the the entanglement, the entanglement issue that we have, you know. <laughs> not the, the entanglement. The entanglement. Not data <laughs> <and them. laughs> the religious and political entanglement stronghold is what I call it. <laughs> you want to talk yeah. intersectionality, religion, politics, yeah, you know. It's, yeah. it's a tough one. You know, this I, I appreciate your candor and just you know, sharing your story. This has been really good. I love just being able to hear, like, as I'm, you know, hearing just kingdom frameworks in the midst of kind of how you're walking this out and seeing how that gets to inform the approach to what we're talking about. So this is good. I'm actually hoping to have a few conversations on this topic with a few folks, because I think that there's a lot to explore in the midst of it. And I thank mm -hmm. you for, for joining me today. How do people, if people want more information about what you're doing and want to connect, where, where do they go? Um, they can go to my website, uh, HardenedConsultingGroup.com. HardenedConsultingGroup.com. All right. Mm -hmm. Dr. Kimberly. Connect with me on social media as well. And social media? Where are your, what, mm -hmm. what are your you know, top platforms that you're uh, involved on? Honestly, I hate social media. <laughs> <laughs>
That's why I'm rolling my eyes. Like, why did I even say social media? <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> like, don't follow my social profile because I don't even want to be there. So I'm, I'm, I'm more active on LinkedIn uh, professionally. Yeah. Um, but the trash talking version of me personally is on Facebook. So, um, <laughs> so I don't want your people to follow my trash talking. So are you saying that the your whole your your holy and professional side is on LinkedIn and your my hood side, your hood side is on Facebook? Is that what you just said to me? Pretty much. <laughs> so for 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 the authentic me, the authentic me is on Facebook. <laughs> like so, you're gonna get all of me, all of me, and and holy. A little, with a little bit of hood and professional, all the things that, that are me, you will find that. On the the eyebrow raise, the yeah. mm, the side eye, all of that. You'll get all of that on Facebook. on Facebook. <laughs> or you can go right onto our website. Thank you so much for joining me today. I appreciate it. Enjoyed our chat. My pleasure, Shay.